0: Thank you, dear. That's my lovely wife, as she mentioned. How's everybody doing today? It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Like my wife said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. A special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us this morning, see a few new faces, and anybody who might be listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Well, like my wife said... Uh, we bought this place this week. And I just kept thinking, leading up to this week, uh, leading up to the closing on Friday, having a bit of anxiety, just, you know, hoping nothing falls through at the last minute. I just thought just on Friday as, we, as I drove home, is there, is there anything too hard for God? Amen. Is there anything too hard for God? And so for many of you know our story, many of you have been with us, uh, some of you from the beginning of this church, others of you from the beginning of this journey, when we were just sort of thinking about it, just sort of entertaining the possibility, all the way to those leaders meetings, those small little meetings that we had where we try to gain some wisdom and some consensus for this, and you all said, hey, pastor, we're with you, let's go for it, and you showed up in a big way, and that that means the world to me. Uh, as we put the news out on social media and all the partner churches, even the church in this community, the response to the news was like people were celebrating as if they had bought new buildings. And, and what this means, wh- what this means for young church planters or pastors, maybe who aren't doing well right now, or people who are at the beginning of their journey, maybe p- people have been renting for years, the level of faith, not just our faith, but the level of faith rises when your brothers and sisters experience something good like this. And so I'm just so thankful Uh, for all of the sacrifice and things that you guys... So we came into Sunday having met our down payment goal. And somebody called me on Tuesday and said, Hey, Pastor, we have another donation. Uh, Do you want to come pick it up? I said, Yes. (laughs) Because he's trying to get as much money in the bank before our closing. And I go pick up 12 mint condition, one ounce gold coins. Right? Right? The person told me that when they were given these coins, they were worth $300 each, but when we sold them for over $1,200 per coin, per coin. And so, and they had already set up with a coin dealer downtown, so I had to take this gold. down. Now imagine me walking downtown Chicago knowing that I have $15,000 worth of gold coins and everybody looks suspicious to me. (laughs) Get to this, get this check, put it in the bank. We go and close, smooth closing, and God is just so good. And we owe him a big thank you this morning. Uh, But here's what I want to also say. Um, We are part of, one of the conditions of the loan is that we have to fix the roof right away. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be spending $35,000 on a brand new roof. As much needed. Some of you have seen the leaks. But I I so wish, I'm I'm grateful for the roof, but I wish that we, that $35,000 was going in here someplace where you can see it, right? So if I just make random references to the roof, I'm just trying to help you understand that that's like, that's part of the deal. And your money and your effort and your time has gone and will go toward uh, putting a brand new roof on this place. But I have one encouragement for you. Don't let up, right? You say, Pastor, what do we do now? We lean in right? We take, continue to take care of this building. We turn lights off. We're not leaving the air running, right? This is our space now. I found myself yesterday going and turning lights off. I've never really just gone around turning off lights, but this is our building. We take care of it, but we also lean in. Many of you have made commitments. This is not over. This is just the first leg of the race. We celebrate this, right? But we continue to lean in. If you've made a commitment, continue to pay your pledges, continue to press in. We've got work days and things like that There's a lot of sweat equity, because many of you know that our plans for remodel are delayed uh, because of the loan structure. And so what we plan to do over the next couple of months is to put as much sweat equity in this building and turn things around as as much, on a budget of course, uh, until we can get the remodel done, and that's gonna take all of us, right? And so what I'm asking is that we continue to lean in and to experience the goodness of the Lord. And so I'm just so full today. And this couldn't come at a better time, particularly because we began last week, last Monday to be exact, a 21-day fast, which is something that's very common for us. We start most of our fall seasons with a 21-day fast. And it's just a great opportunity for us to reset, right? To refocus Because over the summer months, some of us get out of our routines, some of our fitness goals, some of our devotional goals, some of our spiritual disciplines and such, just sort of fall by the wayside, with just sort of an irregular rhythm to our life. And so we use this fall season as an opportunity to recalibrate, to refocus, and we usually install a 21-day fast. And basically what a fast does in a Christian sense is it causes us to examine, take inventory of our life, And figure out those things that are competing with God for our attention and affection. Maybe things that have just grown too large in our life. Maybe things that have sort of nudged God out on the throne of our life. And maybe you might realize, man, I'm watching a whole lot of TV. Man, I'm consumed by social media. Man, I'm putting on some weight because I'm not watching my... You know, going to the gym, this thing has just grown, this good thing, this normally okay thing has just swelled to a point where it's gotten out of hand. And I need to intentionally pull away from eating or eating certain foods, pull away from social media, certain apps, pull away from this relationship or that relationship so that I might be able to get more focused attention on the object of my love and affection. That is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're pulling away for uh, 21 days, not to just return on day 22, but like to maybe reset some new habits and to get into some new, more positive uh, things. And we've paired with that 21-day fast some opportunities like Saturday morning prayer. We had a fantastic prayer meeting. Uh, yesterday wasn't very well attended, but it was a sweet hour of prayer, right? We started our small groups. And some of you don't know that we also started doing what we call discipleship groups. Now, these groups aren't published, but these are leaders who have invited one, two, maybe three other people into small discipleship groups so that they can walk those people toward a more excellent life with Jesus, toward greater places of leadership and deeper measures of of commitment and devotion in the faith. So those discipleship groups, about three of those kicked off this week as well. And so we have opportunities to serve the poor. We paired all those things uh, at the beginning of the fall. And so last week we also began uh, our fall season with a brand new teaching series that we're simply calling Fit for Life. Fit for Life. And the goal of this uh, series is to help us move toward a place of greater fitness, And faith, greater fitness in our life, greater fitness in love and relationships, greater fitness even in our vocational lives, our work lives. And so we've been thinking of this concept of fitness, and some of us, when we think fitness, we automatically think physical fitness, working out, right? But for our purposes, we're looking at fitness in a broader sense. We've been defining fitness as the quality of being suitable to fulfill a particular role or task, the quality of being suitable. Uh, to fulfill a particular role or task. And so in this realm, we're thinking purpose. We're thinking fit for a purpose, fit for a role. And in our sense, we're talking about a God-given purpose, a God-given role, because we understand that as people of faith, that we are all designed with a specific purpose in mind. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, what fearfully and wonderfully made every one of my days you thought of before I was even born. In other words, God didn't just roll the dice with my life. He's got a purpose for me. He's got a plan for me. He's got something for me to do. He's got a lane for me to stay in, right? And so what we essentially want to do is we want to be fit for the master's use. In a very specific way, I want to be fit. If God's called me to be a pastor, if he's called me to be a husband, if he's called me to be a church planter, if he's called me to be a leader or a leader of leaders, I need to be fit for those roles because God has called me to do that. That's what I'm talking about when I say fit, right? And so we can apply this wisdom and apply this truth broadly into all the different lanes that we're in in our life, but we need to be fit. And when I say fit, I simply mean Ready. We need to be ready. You say, ready for what? Yes. Yes. Whatever God calls you to do, you need to be ready. And we said it last week, and I'll say it again this week, that most of us, I believe, are operating at a level that is just a fraction of what God has intended for us. Why? Because we're unfit. We're out of shape. We're spiritually out of shape. We're physically... Out of shape, we're emotionally and relationally out of shape. That doesn't mean you're a bad person, it just means that you're out of shape. And so I'm glad you're here because I feel like the Lord doesn't want us to be out of shape. He wants us to be on our post, He wants us to be on mission, He wants us to be ready to do what he's called us to do at a moment's notice. And so with that, we need to measure fitness. Last week, we started by talking about purpose. I don't think you can talk about fitness without talking about purpose first and how Paul let purpose define his life. We will continue this week by talking about resilience. Resilience. Resilience is simply defined as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It just means you spring back easily when you get punched down. There's a measure of elasticity to your life such that you've been back to shape when life throws you down. Resilience is toughness. You know anybody who's tough? Amen. And when I say toughness, I don't mean he's got the muscle tee and the leather, you know, vest and he's doing one-arm push-ups and he's mean. Meanness isn't toughness. Being buff isn't tough. Resilience is tough. Some of the toughest people I know weigh about a buck old five. And they, you know, (laughs) sweet senior citizens who are just tough as nails will bake you a pie. And you ask them what their secret is to their longevity and their fruitfulness, particularly those who are fruitful in faith. And they will just tell you in their own words that they can just take a licking And keep ticking. They will tell you that they have a deep and abiding faith in the Lord. And though the winds and the waves of life come to beat upon their house, it still stands because their feet are planted on the rock. They are tough. They're resilient. They endure. But the challenge for some of us is that we are only fit under normal circumstances. He said, I'm fine, I- I- I'm faithful, I'm happy, I come to church, I- I'll give, I'll serve, I'll smile at people, I'll be a light, I'll be a witness, I'll be salt, as long as nothing irregular happens. As long as I'm well fed, and as long as there's food in the cupboards, and long as my friends and my marriage is fine and my kids are behaving and my, 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 my career is on an upward trajectory, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm fit under those circumstances. I'm a great runner as long as the road is paved and the terrain is smooth and there's no peaks or valleys and there's nothing in the way and the sun is shining. Hey, I am great under those circumstances. you've only had to be living a few weeks to realize that life is not that way. Faith is not that way. All to say that unless you have developed uh, an understanding of how to weather storms and how to endure heartless as a good soldier and how to stay steady, even though life is irregular, you simply won't be a fruitful Faithful Christian. If you don't have a framework for how to process pain, you haven't budgeted for loneliness or prolonged loneliness, you haven't budgeted for betrayal and suffering and loss and hard times and trouble, you won't be a successful Christian. You won't be a successful human being if I could say that much. Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, he says, verse 33, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have what? Many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I mean, Jesus says, listen, in this world you will have many sufferings, many trials. Many sorrows, especially, I might add, if you choose to follow Jesus, right? Into the great, glorious, often bumpy, unknown. But Jesus says, take heart because we win. I triumph. We win, right? But he doesn't sugarcoat this idea that there will be pain there will be suffering, there will be trials. And for some of you, this is like a timely message today because you're in a season of your life where you're just getting hit on every side. in every meaningful area of life, family, your marriage, kids, vocation, the whole deal... It just seems like you're in a season where you're getting hit from all sides. You can't even celebrate like this building with us. You're like, that's cool and everything. But I don't know like where dinner's coming from. I don't know if I'm going to be married in a month. All right, there's big secrets my kids are hiding. I am consumed by this. thing. That's great news and everything. That's fantastic. But I've just been getting hit from every side. That's some of you in this room right now. Others of you would say, you know what? That's been my whole life. That's been my whole life. One blow after the next. I never can seem to catch a break. People all around me seem to be having all these great trials, but I just hit after hit, knock after knock, punch after punch, blow after blow. This is like a timely word for some of you. And yet others here today today are new to faith, new to walking this thing out and you found that your life was going kind of well, you know, like the devil wasn't messing with you that much until you started to be a real Christian. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you're getting hit from every side. You say, "I I need a rubric. I need some wisdom from heaven as to how to endure faithfully as a soldier. In a word, I need some resilience. In another word, I need some toughness. Help me, pastor, this morning, figure out how to have some staying power. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm simply calling this message built to last. And built to last. We're going to look at a passage of scripture. Would you meet me in 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And start at verse 7. There are Bibles, by the way, on the edges of your rows. Feel free to use those uh, Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one, feel free also to use your tablets or your phones. We're not at all offended if you interact with the scriptures. Uh, on, your dig- on your devices, we'll also be projecting it on the screen. Built to last, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. While you find it, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. God, you are so good. You've been so good to us. So merciful, so kind. You are a generous God. And we love you and worship you today, Father. But would you help us today develop a better framework, a posture, perspective on our pain and trouble? You help us to endure... Be resilient, to be tough. Father, would you teach us this morning, Father, for those of us who are in trouble today. Maybe even those who are suffering in silence. Nobody knows about what you're dealing with, but you, Father. I just pray that the Comforter would surround each and every one of us today. Speak to us this morning, and Father, of course we lift up our brothers and sisters on the East Coast, being battered uh, by yet another hurricane, particularly in the Carolinas. Lord, would you bring your protection. I pray, Father, that the church would arise and be the church in those regions, Father, and I pray, Lord, that you would spare lives and uh, assets and that you would do what only you can do. Come, Holy Spirit, be with them today, Father. Be with us this morning as we dig into the scriptures and try to seek a deeper measure of truth. Put power on these words you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, Amen. 2nd Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. This is Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. We pick up in verse 7. Paul says this, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Verse 8, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, So that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life to you. And so this is a rich text, uh, fitting for many of us today. And Paul begins in verse 7 by talking about the light of Christ is shining in our hearts. And what he's talking about there in verse 7, when he says the light of uh, Christ shining in our hearts, he's talking about the goodness of God, right? the love of God, the the good news, the glory of God is shining from our hearts. He continues to talk about himself and humanity as fragile clay jars. Fragile clay jars that serve as the containers for the goodness, the light, the gospel, the glory of God. Fragile clay jars and so Paul is not trying to despise or diminish or devalue himself or us as humanity. He's simply trying to point out the value of the light and the glory and the goodness of God up against the value of fragile clay jars like ourselves. He's saying you put putting some really, really valuable things in some really plain base things. He's saying like we're containers, of God's goodness and glory. And so in doing so Paul gives us some hint about humanity's purpose, and he alludes to this notion that we, fragile clay jars, broken, fallen, sinful, selfish humanity, we are purposed where we're designed to carry God's light, his gospel, his glory and to spread it around the whole world. That sounds awesome, right? But there's a the catch. Because when you sign up to walk in that purpose to be a carrier and distributor of light, a carrier and distributor of the gospel, a carrier and therefore a distributor of God's glory, a huge target is placed on your back. Because we serve a true and living God but we have a worthy foe who hates our guts. His job is to kill us to steal from us, to destroy us. Put simply, his job is to frustrate the plans and the purposes that God has for you and me, that plan, that purpose, including being a distributor of light, a distributor of goodness, a distributor of the gospel, a distributor of the glory of God. And because of that, among other things, pain is just a part of the Christian life. Trouble is a part of the Christian life, betrayal and suffering and loss is a part of the human condition, particularly the Christian human condition. And so Paul gives us in verses 8 through 12 a window into how he views pain, suffering, and loss, a window into how he manages the suffering and the pain, the trouble he faces in his life, particularly the suffering that comes as a result of him being a person on mission. And so I want to look at this passage today and pull a few things out to help us to be built to last, to help us to develop and walk in a measure of toughness and resilience so that we can be people on mission, people of purpose. Amen? First thing I see here is that Paul gives us permission to acknowledge the pain. He gives us permission to acknowledge the pain. Now, this is important because this permission that Paul gives us Uh, not just through this passage, but other Pauline texts, it it, kind of cuts against the grain of what some of us have been taught as Christians. Some of us have become little liars. We've become great pretenders, and we've been taught to do so in Sunday school. We've been taught to do so by the preacher. We've been taught to do so and to be so by the Christian culture that tells you to just lie the pain away. Sure, you're getting hit on every side. Sure, your arm is just dangling by its tendon, eye popping out of the socket. But you need to say, I'm blessed and highly favored. You need to say, I'm fine in Jesus. And maybe if you don't claim it, Your arm will fix itself. And maybe if you don't claim it, there will be a positive balance in your checking account rather than a negative one. Just say you're all right. And this is even true as it relates to just how we culturally relate to one another. How often do you say, Hey, how's it going? And what you mean is to say, You you mean to acknowledge the person, you mean to say, Hi. You don't really want to know. And so when the lady said, well, I got a corn on this foot and I found a boil the other day, you're like, wait, 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 we're doing this now? I was just saying, huh? Why? Because culturally, socially, we're really not giving permission, people permission to tell us how they're really doing. And it's really worse in the church. But Paul doesn't, he doesn't fall prey to that. Paul acknowledges What he's going through. He acknowledges what he's gone through. He acknowledges that it's not been a happy time for him. Verse 8 he says, We are pressed on every side. We are perplexed. We are hunted down. We are knocked down. Does any of that sound pleasant to you? Does any of that sound like any Christian pretense or pretending? No, that's raw. That's gritty. That's, That's real life. And Paul is giving you permission. Jesus gives us permission. I'm giving you permission to acknowledge the trouble, acknowledge the pain. And scholars suggest that Paul has in mind as he's writing these words, as he's phrasing this, particularly if you look at this text in the original language uh, Paul is he has the you know the athletic games in mind particularly wrestling perhaps or maybe running in mind when he talks about being pressed being folded up being you know hemmed in it's not a good feeling Paul talks about being perplexed perhaps he's puzzled he's dizzied by by the, by the skill of his opponent. I'm perplexed. I'm confused. How does he snatch me up like this? How does he get me in this hole? I didn't even know my leg could bend that way. I'm perplexed by it. Hunt it down and think of a runner in a race with somebody on your heels. You're being chased down by something or chased down by someone. This is not a good feeling, even if you're just in a competitive race. Knocked down. You ever been knocked down? Did you thank the person that knocked you down? Did you smile and say, yes, I've been knocked down? No, this, this this is horrible. This is terrible. Paul acknowledges it. And this isn't the first time. Go a couple chapters ahead in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul has this long list of the things Particularly unpleasant things that he had to deal with in his life. He says, "I've been whipped times without numbers." Second Corinthians eleven. Faced death again and again, five different times. Jewish leaders gave me thirty-nine lashes three times. I was beaten with rods once. I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked once. I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on long journeys. Faced dangers from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the cities, deserts, and on seas. I have faith, danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. This is Paul saying, I have worked hard and long, sleepless nights. I've been hungry, thirsty, gone often without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothes to keep warm. In verse 28, he says, then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. In other words, I have my pastoral concerns, which probably weigh the most heavy on Paul. Not once did he name something good. Not once did he try to say, but, but I'm blessed. I'm happy in Jesus. He just said, hey, just rattle off all these things. It's okay. It's okay to name what you're going through. As I was preparing this, I just felt the Lord say, uh, hey, check on your people this week. Check on your people this week. You say, who are my people? I don't know, it's for you to decide. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's somebody in a small group. Maybe it's somebody you haven't seen in a while. Maybe somebody who hasn't been themselves lately. But I feel like as carriers of light, containers of God's glory. It's good news that we're supposed to be creating a culture of candor in our lives where people can share what they're going through without judgment. And even when they don't solicit, the information that if we know that there's something irregular, something different, that we would just begin to make space, begin to be interruptible, because we all, particularly in community, need to get better at acknowledging the pain. Paul says it's been pretty rotten for a lot of the time. There is some therapy in this type of honesty, there's healing in some of this, because resilience faces pain, and and it doesn't ignore it, right? Resilience, toughness, faces pain, contrary to what we've been taught. It doesn't ignore it. And so with that, I say it's okay to acknowledge your struggle. It's not just okay, but it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of integrity that we're honest about our struggle. Because oftentimes the thing that causes us to hide our struggle and weakness is pride. Right? But Paul gives us permission, permission to acknowledge the pain. Second thing Paul does is he helps us to know that pain and trouble are temporary. Temporary. And some of you say, somebody should tell my pain that because... I've been in this storm for a long time. But I mean, it's temporary in a natural sense, but even in a spiritual sense, in light of eternity, in light of what's on the other side of this thing, we understand that pain is not final. Even failure and loss, it's not final and you understand that paul's not giving you a whole bunch of tips to say hey when you face this situation do this or if you get into this amount of trouble then you should do this or if you get here you should pay this prayer what paul is generally trying to work on is our perspective the lenses through which we view life in this case our pain our struggle our trial betrayal loss hurt and the like he's working on our perspective given us some broad, applicable wisdom on how to have a renewed mind, as he talks about in Romans 12, that transformed mind from the inside out, changing the way we think, not reacting to the way that the world, to pain in the way that the world reacts to it, to have a transformed, renewed mind. He's trying to focus our transformed, renewed mind on how we relate to the most trying of times in our Life, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed, he continues. We are perplexed, confused. This storm is dizzying, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Notice the first thing he describes is what's happening, what he's in the midst of, what he's in the throes of. I am pressed down. That's a temporary circumstance but I'm not crushed, that's, that's final. I am persecuted. People are coming against me. Circumstances of life have conspired against me, my spouse or my children or my friends or my boss. I'm facing persecution, but I've been, I'm not driven to despair. Persecution is temporary. Despair is the total absence of hope total absence of any sense of redemption or, or, or regeneration, it's like, it's over. I'm dealing with this unpleasant, I'm persecuted, but it's not over. I'm not driven to despair. Haunted it down. Something's on my heels and it might catch me. Something's threatening, looming, and you've ever been chased by something? Or someone, you know that's a horrible feeling, right? And Paul says it's not final because something else is chasing me down. Right. Yeah. It's goodness and mercy. Yeah. 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 Hunt it down, but I'm never abandoned by God. Is there anything too hard? Right, yeah. I'm not abandoned by God. I'm knocked down. Some of you right here said, "Preacher, that is a perfect description of where I am right now. I am knocked down, and you were just a breath away from feeling destroyed and calling the ball game." But today, Paul says you can be knocked down without being destroyed. You can be in a bad way without succumbing to that pressure and that persecution. Paul is driving at what our perspective. How we view the suffering, how we view the pain. You get two different people, identical circumstance. One's an overcomer, one keeps pressing on, one goes to work, one goes to church, one keeps serving, and the other one is totally consumed by it. It wrecks their life. They pull the emergency brake of life, it totally stops them in their tracks. What's the difference? Perspective vantage point by which they view their pain the struggle and what the tough resilient person goes is that this is rough but this too shall pass Amen. 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 perspective Paul was willing to endure temporary pain now let, me, let me add another layer if I can If you're wandering aimlessly through life without a purpose, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're made for, you either don't know or you don't care because you've so strayed off the path, then you're unwilling to go through pain well. But imagine that you're a person on mission. You're a man on mission. You're a woman on mission. And you understand that there is a destination that you're called to reach. And I might even add that there are people along the path that you're supposed to minister to and attend to per your calling and per your purpose, but only you found that there are things along the road. Little nuisances, little things to frustrate you, little things to make you question your calling, little things to make you stop, because that's what the enemy does, right? Now, if you're just out for a walk and you come into a roadblock, you just go, well, I'm going to try another way. I'll just rest here a while until this thing. But if you got somewhere to be, if there's somebody counting on you, if there's some urgency, Paul said last week, uh, with with intention and purpose in every step, all of a sudden the thing that's in my way now is something to be conquered, something to be figured out rather than something that could sideline me. And so this this is the importance of understanding purpose and starting with purpose. I can't tell you how many things threatened to stand in the way of us owning this place. We had banks turn us down, the barrage of emails and talk to this one and that one. Money would come in and it get slow and all sorts of things. But I had an we had an expected end. I don't care if the, you know, the Brinks truck has to fly open accidentally and and drop some, you know. (laughs) We're gonna get this building one way or the other. <laughs> I remember talking to BMO Harris Bank, the, the first bank we were, we were moving along, right? And the guy called me out of blue and said, "Hey, we're not, we, we can't do the, we can't do the loan." I said, "Well, can you give me half the money?" No, we can't do it. Sorry. It took me five minutes to call the next bank that we actually ended up dealing with. We had a plan B bank, and like after five minutes, I'm on the phone with, with Providence, and they eventually gave us a loan. Why? Because God said it. Somebody's going to give me the money if it's my sweet old grandma. Somebody's going to give it to me. Amen. 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 And what makes you not quit is that you got somewhere to be. Right. Amen. And what makes you not quit as a parent and as a husband— as a wife, as a discipler, as a friend, is that there's somebody counting on you, and those people counting on you are tied to your assignment and life, and so you've got to get through it. Amen. Amen. And so Paul was willing to deal with temporary pain for what? For purpose. It says some of us just don't have that level of resolve. Find two people in a similar circumstance. Man, why is this person still? They have tapped into purpose. Why am I slow? Why am I just moseying through faith? Why am I so absent? Why am I so unfaithful? Why am I so unreliable now? What's happened is you've probably lost sight because of the circumstances of your life. You've lost sight of the mission of the purpose that is so worth the cost. Yes, it is like yes, it is like I'm lingering on this longer than I plan to, but and some of us, how do I put this? You've never tasted the victory that helps you face the next battle because you keep quitting all the time. You've never tasted the triumph of working on a marriage and having it be gold when it started out as a, you know, a fake nickel <laughs> because you haven't pressed it through. You just got yourself another spouse. And I'm not throwing stones at anybody. So don't write me any letters, please. I'm just saying, some of you, I realize that you really haven't tasted the sweet victory of Sacrifice. And pressing through things long term, and sticking with that ministry when you want to give it up, and going to small group even though you've worked alone, you just haven't like tasted the sweet victory that comes to being resilient and being tough and pressing through pain. And so I understand that you don't have a you don't have a framework for that. But trust me, our Savior has, Paul has, the heroes of our faith has, Dr. King has. He didn't taste the fruit. He didn't experience what he died for, but what kept him sitting in at those lunch cups? What kept him being, you know, hosed down with water hoses? He knew that he was on mission. He knew that one day we'd enjoy. Marrying who we want to marry and sitting in his seat on the bus. Where He knew that we was on purpose. And I think we would taste more of the sweetness of victory if we would just, what, endure We would endure. Third and final thing that I see in this text. Paul says that we can choose what rules us. We can choose what rules us. Listen, pain, suffering, trouble, loss, it visits everyone. It visits everyone. You don't really have a choice in the matter. You don't have a choice whether or not cancer comes and attacks your body. Who would choose that? You don't have a choice, really, whether or not infidelity, you know, costs your marriage. You really don't. I mean, somebody has a choice. I mean, usually the offended party doesn't have a choice. And all these sorts of things, many of these things, some of it is because we're knuckleheads, but others of it is just because somebody's sinning against us. Imagine people in the Carolinas, they didn't say, hey, Lord, could you send a hurricane to, like, destroy all of my assets? But you can choose what rules and reigns in your heart. You can choose heaven's vantage over an earthly one. It all depends on how you see your situation and the way I see it. You have two choices. You can choose hope or despair. You can choose despair or hope. Despair is the complete loss or absence of hope. Hope, on the other hand, is a feeling of expectation and desire for certain things to happen. Get that. The coupling of expectation and desire. It's a beautiful thing when you put it together. It's even more beautiful when you have noble goals. Noble expectations, to put it a different way, it's a great thing when you have God-given goals. God-given aspirations. It doesn't have to be deeply spiritual. It can be family-related. It can be, you know, relationship-driven. It can be vocational. But when God puts something on you. And we see this marriage of expectation and desire. Not only do I expect it, like you can expect a root canal. You don't desire it. Right? But I expect a building and I want it. That's hope. And you didn't know until today that you could choose. Despair, I hope. Dr. Cornel West says, despair might visit, but it doesn't win. It doesn't have to win. I can be gripped by despair. It could try to overtake me like that wrestler puts me in a hold, but I get to decide what I'm ruled by I get to decide which one of those sits on the throne of my heart. And my question is to you today, will you be a slave to despair? Because despair says it's over. Despair says that's a ball game. You've lost. There's no victory. Despair says you are crushed. Despair says you are driven to despair. Despair says you have been abandoned by God. Despair says you are destroyed. Despair says it's over. Or hope. When you look under hope, it should says see John 16:33. Jesus says, I told you those things so that you may have peace in me. Here on the earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. What? Because I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. And what this verse tells us to do is flip to the end of the book. <laughs> right now, amen. We win. Okay, amen. Right? Uh, <clears> throat> 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 flip to the end of the book. We're victorious. Yeah. Now, this isn't pie in the sky. It's because you may get divorced. Cancer may come, and it may come back. You may even die. But we are not abandoned by God. And if this world and this life may take and consume this body, though I pray it never happens, absent with the body, present with the Lord, so in the grand scheme of eternity, hope says this thing can turn around, likely will turn around in this life, but even if it doesn't, big deal. I'm spending eternity with my father. That's not a crutch for the weak. It's truth. That's truth. Hope says, turn to Romans 8, 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, creation doesn't have anything to say about this. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay, we look forward to what? That glorious destiny, that glorious hope. This is what hope calls us to. We win. But you got to choose to walk in that. You got to choose to hope in that. You got to choose to be governed, be ruled, be gripped by hope and not despair. Because that hope, as the songwriter says, is an anchor for our souls. And that anchor keeps us from being tossed about by the winds and the waves, tossed about by bad news and bad people with bad intentions. Anchor for our souls because our house, our feet are planted on the rock. Some of you are in trouble today. Some of that trouble is your own doing. Worship team, you can come up. And Some of that trouble has just happened to you as a result of sinfulness of men and women in your life. What will you choose today? Will you choose to, in a healthy way, acknowledge the pain? Address it? Will you choose to see pain as temporary in the light of eternity? And will you decide what will rule you, and that is hope. So my prayer is that today as we worship, the Lord would just give you a new framework for your pain, that he would make you resilient, he would make you tough, he would make you be able to endure the things that the enemy sets in the path of your purpose so that you might taste, even for the first time, some of you, just sweet victory because you've endured heartless as a good soldier. Let me pray. Oh so Jesus, thank you so much for your word and your truth, your goodness, your glory and your light, which we undeservingly, Lord, get to be containers and distributors of that, Father, with you? Help us to be proud of that, to walk in that, the glory in that, that you would choose us to be your carriers. And for those of us who are struggling today, for those of us who are in trouble, for those of us who are in the midst of pain and loss and difficulty and stress, Lord, I pray that we would see our life and our issues with heaven's vantage, that it's temporary, that it won't consume us, and that you will never, ever, ever leave us. May we rest in that. May we glory in that. May faith arise as a result of that truth being planted in our hearts today. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring your healing today. Father, bring your joy today for those who life just robbed you of your joy and your smile. Lord, would you just release joy in this place? May we trade our sorrows this morning for the joy of the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen.